Welcome to the Rockonomics Podcast, episode number 63. I'm your host, Dill, and today we welcome another Berkeley School of Music graduate in the form of multi-instrumentalist and producer Steve Fekete. Steve has lent his talents to the likes of Avril Lavigne, Gwen Stefani, Don Felder, and Vertical Horizon, just to name a few. I met up with Steve when he came through town playing guitar and keys for America, and our conversation about leaving Boston for L.A., not getting married to a gig, and playing with a rotating cast of star musicians at Soundcheck Live at Lucky Strike in Hollywood went a little something like this. So it was just word of mouth and, and just asking people in person. And now God, the wealth of information online and, and podcasts like this are great. And so I love sharing my, my experiences with younger people. Um, I, was, uh, I worked in the missions in Berkeley where I went to college for about 10 years after I graduated. So I would, I would do recruitment events, talk to parents and students about whether I thought Berkeley was good for them based on what their needs were. And, and, and so even from that point on, it was like I was just trying to figure out you know, how, to, how to be encouraging to, right. to, to people, who like younger people especially, who want to go into the business. And the business has changed so much even from the moment where oh, I started, yeah. and, it, and it continues to change. The business itself, it's like, how do you even go about talking about it? It's Sometimes there's no contracts, and it's handshake. When deals. did you graduate? When, so I graduated, when did you move I graduated into, like, in 96 okay. from Berkeley, yeah. Okay, it was so, a good time, too, because there were a lot of amazing players there. A lot of, a lot of my, uh, my colleagues who I continue to, to work with, like Jim Gorman, we, we yeah. know each other from back in, at Berkeley, yeah. He spoke, the, you know, he spoke in a similar manner, that he likes to... Share, you know, share his knowledge, and sure. one of the things I asked him about Berkeley was they don't really teach you about the business, right? Mm. There's no, I mean, well, unless there's business courses that you choose not to take. It, yeah, I mean, I think everybody takes the um, uh, intro to the music business course, and it's the Donald Passman book that is still in existence, but there's like multiple volumes of it, and it changes every few years because the business changes and legalities and all that stuff, but. Um, yeah, I think you you just have to like talk to the right people. I guess if you have a lawyer, even better. But I mean, <laughs> I've never been in that situation. I've never had an agent. I've never needed a lawyer. Thank God. And so for me, my my whole career has been based on word of mouth, right? More or less. I've done I did, I've done my share of auditions, but most of the. Um, the noteworthy gigs that I've done, word of mouth. Yeah. Friends like Jim or other people that I've known either from Berkeley or along the way in LA just recommending me. So it's been, that's what I want to like also let younger people know too. It's like, you have to be personable. You have to be outgoing. You have to like really make sure you have a great attitude and, and build upon those relationships because it's crucial, especially in the music business. I'm sure it's the same way in movies too. But, yeah. yeah. I'm just shocked that, and that's, you know, I think, I don't know anybody who does have an agent. You know, but I mean, you, but you must be having to sign contracts all the time for you know when you're uh, the only con- the only things I've signed are non-disclosures. I, I when I f- did the uh, the two Avril Levine tours, I, I did sign a, a contract which included a non-disclosure, but it was also just basically one of those things where it's saying you're signing up to do the tour and blah blah blah. Here are the we were, at the first tour I did we we filmed the DVD in Toronto, so it was also a little uh, addendum like just just to make sure like you know we were going to be covered for that so there's no questions asked later mm-hmm. um 
And but for the most part, it's been through phone conversations and email correspondences where I've either negotiated or or, or solidified gigs. Right. I mean, that sounds like a, a, a big hurdle for a young artist. Well, yeah, and it's a little unsettling too because you feel like, well, can this just end at any moment? And yes, it can. You know, an artist decides they don't want a gig anymore. You're out of work. And it's, it's it, like that. And even in the, I mean, the Avril contract was was it something you just started to read and you know your eyes glazed over and it was like a lot of legalese or just like was it? Yeah, was I mean, I was actually really fortunate because Jim was in that band. He was musical director at that moment, and um, and I, I became good friends with like a lot of the guys, and they, they were all curious about all the. the fine print and basically there's nothing in there that's going to screw you at right. the end of the day it's just for them to protect themselves and um, you negotiate your 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 salary and then that's really what it comes down to it's like what are you going to make and and you know, if there are there any surprises in the future like at the end of the tour like are they going to film more DVDs or whatever at that time it was DVDs um, so yeah I glanced I read through it that's well as I could at that point with understanding the language and and uh, and then I, I did get some advice from some people who had more experience looking through contracts I had a friend of mine look through it and he was like yeah it's just standard standard and, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah and what about you know it, this is going back before social media I mean I'm sure maybe social media was around but the whole non-disclosure agreement with someone like I was I just like keep your nose out of her business don't you know don't talk about her well, her boyfriends or her private yeah, life? Pretty much because we were hanging out. We would hang out in hotel rooms on her bus. And we saw her in, in those candid moments where, where you know, you don't, you don't want to talk about, like, little things that she may say. I mean, it's just private things yeah, yeah. that a lot of artists, they just want to keep to themselves. If she wants to open up to you, you know, you don't want to share personal stories. Things like that. Yeah. I've done it with Don Felder. I've done it with quite a few artists. It's like, but I, you know, <laughs> it's, funny you mentioned, it's funny you mentioned Don Felder. I, uh, there's a couple of questions I want to ask about that, but I guess so. Uh, yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll get to that. So, all right. Well, this will be great. So, circ- circling back, you said New Jersey, New Jersey. What yeah. town? Uh, born in New Brunswick, grew up in North Brunswick, so okay. right, right around Rutgers area. Okay. Yeah. All right. Exit nine. And were you in a musical family? Well, my sister took piano lessons and I took guitar lessons early on. And she did not go into music. Um, She was a great sight reader. And I was more of a... I just played by ear. Mm -hmm. And I did eventually learn how to read well. um, But we were just different in that way. But we would try to play together. And it was just like a a little funny dynamic going on there. But uh, I started when I was about... Eight years old. I think my grandfather gave me a, a little parlor-sized guitar that I still have, and um, I went through all the high school programs: music, choir, marching band, jazz band. I was like, re- I really got into music heavily once I was like, I think it was uh, my eighth grade, right? Okay. Prior to going to high school, once was I started this, playing in bands. Was, was this an older was, sister? Yeah. She so did she influence? Did she have the? albums and tapes that you well we listened to a lot of the same music and then we listened to different music but my my parents loved music when I was growing up we they would play music constantly in the house I mean 
everything from Stevie Wonder to Almond Brothers. I mean, it was a wide mix of stuff, Beatles. So I was exposed to a lot of great music. I mean, I consider great, like, uh, going up early on. And uh, I think they just always loved music, so they were encouraging as far as giving um, my sister and I the, the lessons. And I, I just stuck with it. Mm-hmm. I, I really just enjoyed it, and and then it was like a lot for a lot of people. It was a bonding experience later on. Once you get to junior high and you're starting to get a little older, I bonded with a lot of people through music. A lot of my friends wanted to play, and um, you know it's that feeling of acceptance because it was cool to play music. Yeah, yeah. For and sure. so, um, and then I started writing my own music as well. Which is another story we'll get to later if you want to talk about it because I'm writing right now heavily. That's like my that's my main focus. But it's it was years and years and years that went by where I was touring and not even doing music a lot where I wasn't writing, wasn't being creative, and now I'm like back to doing that and it's it's like this resurgence of like in, you know, like uh, inspiration that mm-hmm. I'm getting. Yeah. So with a well-rounded you know musical tastes at an age you know junior senior in high school when. What are you thinking is your future? Like, before you go to Berkeley, what's, what's on your mind? Um, I knew I wanted to go into music, and, and I, it, we would, uh, my friends and I were in bands together, and so we would play the, the high school battle of the bands. And, and that, to me, was like, oh, this is great. I love being a performer. I love writing my own music. And I just saw myself doing that in the future. And then um, I got heavily into jazz. It was like basically from classic rock to progressive rock, to jazz and <laughs> my natural. guitar teacher turned me on to Pat, like a Pat Metheny record and that was it now I was done I'm like oh my god because I because we were I was lucky I was around a lot of my my, my, my peers uh, at that time even in high school who were just they were just all about music all about trying to play like you know odd times and into Rush and things like that so like for me it was like oh if I get into jazz wow that's even more advanced and I actually loved it I thought it was really good I couldn't understand it at first but Pat Metheny I think was a great um, transitional gateway. record yeah it was a gateway record um, and then so uh, I had a band director who helped me uh, with my application to some music schools and Berkeley was one of them and I went Upon doing research, I realized that Berkeley seemed like the best fit just because it was a contemporary music college. It offered a lot of different majors. So at that time, I was like, well, I don't know. Maybe it'll give me some options. There's like education. There's music therapy. There's music production and engineering. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly the performance thing, which ended up being my major. But I took a lot of other classes in that time. I, I decided to do performance because I wanted to have steady private lessons throughout my, my time there. There's so many great teachers, and I wanted to get a little bit from each of them, which I did. And um, I don't regret it. I think it was really good. I probably would have taken more engineering classes because now that's right, right. really been a big thing. But, you know, you record at home, you learn, and it's easy enough. <laughs> so when you're is, – is that a four-year school, two-year school? It's, it's a four-year school. Okay. Yeah. So what, what are you thinking, you know, as you wind down your, your college years there? That was a good question because the first two years of Berkeley, predominantly working on jazz, just my playing, being stuck in a, in a, in a in, we call them the sheds, you know, just shedding every day. Uh, and then I just got back into contemporary music. I think I heard like a Counting Crows record. I'm like, yeah, I love this stuff, man. <laughs> this is like, I like 96. vocal music. Yeah. And, and then I just, yeah, there's like August and everything after. And then that was one of many albums along the, along the way. Cause I was listening to radio at all. And then I heard that and it just got me back into playing vocal music and, 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 and 
contemporary styles. And so um, after Berkeley, it was it was an interesting transition because I, I, I feel like. I feel like I was one of those examples of like a big fish in a small pond coming from New Jersey. And then as soon as I went to to Boston and I saw the players there, it was like shock to the system. I was like, oh my God, I'm scared. Like these, <laughs> I've never seen players like this. Everything from the, the, the teachers to the students, it was mind-blowing. But I knew I was in the right place. And then, so I, I just dealt with a lot of insecurity like afterwards, just not knowing where do I fit in? How good am I? Am I... Where do I want to go? So uh, I was a work-study student in, in the admissions office, and then I was offered a job right after graduation. I was like, this is great. I'll have some steady money coming in, and I could still play music. And that just went on for a long time. And during the time that I was working the full-time job there at Berkeley, I was just doing sessions at night. I was burning the midnight oil, and I was playing gigs. I was staying up really late, getting very little sleep. But... Um, but that's what I did for years, and, and it was a great experience. Um, but in hindsight, I wish I would have moved maybe to New York or L.A., but I, for all I know, I wouldn't have been ready for it. You know? Okay, I was going to say, how was the scene there? I had I, I recently spoke to Craig McIntyre. Yeah, I love Craig. Yeah, and he was drummer. in Boston for a long time, and he felt, you know, he had to get out of there to finally, you know, make things happen. I felt the same exact way. Um, because at one time, Boston was like a scene. You have bands like the cars coming out of there and, mm-hmm. and many others uh but it was more of a jazz scene and more of a, a folk singer songwriter scene when i was there and i felt like between those two styles I, I just wanted something different and the main thing i realized was i wanted to be a touring musician and i didn't see there were no touring opportunities once in a blue moon you would hear about something mm-hmm. coming through there but nowhere near uh, the extent of what you would find in los angeles and back to Jim McGorman, I, we kept in touch after college, and he would come uh, to town with the various acts that he mentioned in your podcast, and I would go see him. We would hang out. He'd be like, man, there's like a great opportunity. He would call me. It's too bad you're not out here. And I'd just be, <laughs> it would crush me. I'm like, I got to get out there. I got to get, because I felt like, well, this, that seems like an ideal place. I already have contacts who are doing really well. And sure enough, once I moved to Los Angeles, about six months after that, uh, it was just the opportunity came up that uh, Avril's lead guitar player was moving on, and Jim got put my name into the mix, and they, they auditioned a handful of guitarists, which then turned into like a whole Barry Squire-type audition. I know he talked to you about yeah. that. Um, i got to find this Barry Squire guy. Yeah, <laughs> he's a good guy, yeah. Um, and, and after like a grueling two week period of not knowing whether I was going to get the gig, I finally got the call. But at that point I was, I almost just gave up hope. I was just like, okay. Were you going on now? When you got out to LA, were you auditioning anyway? Like, were there any? Yeah, I was looking for auditions. I was doing some other stuff and, uh, and, and really just going out and trying to meet people, just mingle. I was doing Berkeley, uh, alumni alumni events. Yeah. And just trying to stay within that circle. I felt like that might be a good opportunity and, and, and just, just going out and meeting friends and Jim introduced me to a lot of good people. And I had other good friends like my buddy, Eric Holden, who's a fantastic bass player. I played with Josh Groban, plays with a bunch of great artists and Bodines. And he and I have known each other since the Berkeley days, about mm-hmm. the same amount of time as I've known Jim. 
and he was out there. I actually stayed with him when I first moved out there. I didn't have a place, didn't have a job, so crashed with him. I, I, I love I love that question because again, it's yeah. just like you know, okay, you have a plane ticket. It's going to get you there. You know, what's going to shelter you when you get there? Yeah, and LA just seemed like the obvious place, so it fulfilled you know that that desire to like tour. And, and at least be in a, in a location where there were touring opportunities, there were auditions. And at least there was the promise of it, whereas in Boston I didn't see that. And I had some friends that had already um, dug in and, and, and started their careers, and I felt like it, it, was, it was a good place to go. Did you end up taking a job, like a, just a you know, part-time no. or paying job, while you were running around? No. So after Six all- months I was just burning through money, yeah. paying rent, and... Uh, running out of money actually and, and it was like it was yeah I really really was banking on that Afro gig <laughs> and, that, and that really changed everything for my career because it, it was a high profile artist and then once you once you play and you have somebody like that on your resume you know, people don't even ask you to audition mm-hmm. and sometimes they do but sometimes they don't and, and, and so they figure oh you okay you you were with her for a year oh you, you were with her on two tours okay obviously you're you can hang yeah, not an idiot. <laughs> you can play. Um, so. you, you were asked back. That's by a major, uh, <laughs> major accomplishment. Yeah. When when was what's the time frame between graduation and landing Avril? Oh gosh, it, it was years. It was uh, so I graduated in '96. I stayed in Boston until uh, 2007. So okay, it, yeah. Oh wow, yeah. So it was about 11 years. Yeah, and then so in August of 2007, I moved out there and I started playing with Avril in 2008. Okay, and uh, world tour. I was just like, wow, that was a great, it's great experience. Where did that? Yeah, tell me more about that. Did that was that did that start in North America and go? It started else, in it started in uh, North America. It started in Canada, uh, and actually, <laughs> just we we filmed a DVD at that time within like the first month, I think. So no pressure, right? It's like my first big tour and we're filming DVD. It was great though. It was a really cool experience. So we did North America, we did uh, Europe, we did uh, did Asia, and of course we did the States as well. All right. And it lasted about ten months. What a great first, uh, you know, yeah. first first tour. That's just I'm very blessed. To have that. <laughs> what was um, <laughs> you know? Did you ever have a you know, they never taught me this at school moment on that first oh, tour. Oh, yeah. I mean, I go through that all the time. <laughs> In fact, I've gone back to Berkeley and tried to share my experiences. I think it's really it's important to do that. Uh, you know, things like having a contract put in front of you. Things like um, just not noodling a lot on stage when people are trying to get things done. Um, when you travel, trying to be respectful when you're on a bus, bus etiquette. Um, But at that point, you know, I'm already in my thirties, you know what I'm saying? So I'm like, I just, I I wasn't oblivious to those things. I I was, I was really mindful of trying to just keep to myself and and be a part of the group. So it's like a, it's like this balance between like just knowing, well, look, if I'm not in a good place, I'll just remove myself instead of like putting some bad energy out there. Mm -hmm. And everybody in that band was terrific. It was just a bunch of great guys who I'm still really close with. Were you well traveled at that point, just in your life, or many uh, yeah, I had traveled, um, not on on a major tour. I've done I had done like touring like in the states, like on a small scale, but um, I had traveled just for personal reasons, yeah. you know, all London places. Like that. So I had I had been around, but uh, but no, you know, nothing prepared me 
Well, I guess I did prepare me to an extent, but not not like that kind of travel schedule. I mean, it was rigorous. It, it was. Just, but I found out like early on, I'm, I'm like I'm good at that. Some people are good at touring. What I mean is like you have you have a good like physically you can tolerate it. Mm-hmm. You you can deal with different types of time zones, and time zones, and and, and 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 what's available like food wise, like your diet. If you can be, if you can adjust. <laughs> A lot of people are concerned about that, and I get it. Um, yeah, time zones and just can you can you get up early? Can you? So it was, <laughs> it was a little bit of a thing, you know. And you, you know, I found out right away, like, okay, I, I, I have to like kind of work on this a little bit and being more prompt. And then, okay, and then I then it was like you get into your routine. I loved it. It was a great experience. Was that also your first opportunity with you know? Uh, Letterman and Leno and all the talk shows and yeah, I played some local TV shows in Boston, so I had been on on a on on a TV set. set like that. But yeah, no, not, that was the first time I was doing like bigger late night shows where bigger production and seen by a lot more people, mm-hmm. even worldwide. So yeah, it was the first time. It was fun. Okay. And those are tough too because a lot of them are early tapings. You know, you get into yeah, New York, you're doing that. like the Today Show. It's like God, you're you're getting up at like four thirty in the morning. It's brutal. <laughs> you know, I'm just singing background parts, so I'm like, thank God. I, I always like wonder about that, like with lead singers. And stuff. It's, gonna, yeah, it's funny you mentioned do that. that. You I think I mean you don't take that into consideration, but it's got to be tough. Yeah, it's it was tough too when I was working with a Cassidy Pope because she's such a great singer. And then Jim and I were both uh, the, her guitar players, and uh, and we would do a lot of acoustic trio gigs and and TV dates and so early in the morning and she relied on having those background vocals in there it's just country pop rock you know? mm-hmm. that was good it was really kept me on my toes I love working with great singers that, that's fun for me so how do you approach uh, a tour is going to end like it, was your first two like you, we just spoke to, about Avril and, and there was back to back tours but was there a there was probably a gap between those yeah, there was. There was. There were. Yeah, because that tour ended in the, at the end of two thousand eight, and then I didn't. We had done a couple shows in between, um, but the next tour was two thousand eleven, and that went into two thousand twelve. So that during that that time in between, I immediately started just putting the feelers out and started playing with other artists. I think. Maybe one of the first was David Archuleta, mm-hmm. who's uh, one of the runners-up for American Idol. Terrific singer, great guy. Uh, I had played the promo tour, Jingle Bell, like Christmas run with him, right. and a lot of artists do, right after he left American Idol. And then, um, I'm just looking at your, your long and impressive list of, uh, of artists. <laughs> so back with, uh, I mean... So revisit Avril. You go back another huge, yeah. You know, world tour. What's different? Anything? Um, well, I talked about this in another podcast. I think it's good for people to hear, um, just because it, it, this was one of those uh, pivotal moments for me in in what I call not getting married to the gig. Okay, right. so I, you feel like once you're playing with an artist like that, oh, I'm in with them, and I'm 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 her guitar player. I'm the guy. So what I found out right before that tour was that um, the the guy that I had replaced the guitar player prior to me being there you know she's friends with him and uh, she had him come up and do the Olympics up in Canada before everybody in that band except me and 
And at the time, I was really bummed because I'm like, wow, I did a whole tour with her. I felt like I, obviously, I carried my weight and I proved myself. And and then I was like, oh, and I knew there was a talk of another tour coming up. I knew she was doing another album. And uh, I was not getting any... Any word, any word about about doing it, and uh, and so it was like one of those moments where I was like, well, I could feel bad for myself, or I could just be like, well, you know what? That's just how it is. I can't take that as a personal slight. It's not. It's just business, man. And and so from that moment on, I really never. I I, I told myself, it's okay. I, I'm lucky that I had that tour. I'm playing with other artists now, and I just have to focus on what I'm doing and not be so focused on that one thing. There yeah. are other gigs out there. There's a gig out there for everyone. And, um, and I think what happened was once I let that go, she called me <laughs> and then we, I was back in the band. I didn't do the Olympics, but I was back on the tour. I was able to do that. And I, at that one time, I think I was playing with vertical horizon and I already had dates with them right at like already committed to when her tour was supposed to start. It was actually promo for her tour. And I told her manager, I was like, as I really believe this is the right way to do things. I was like, you know, I'm just not going to. You can't cancel on that. Yeah. yeah. I was, so I said, well, let me speak to him and make sure he's got somebody back in that he can uh, call in. And I did. And he's such an understanding guy. He was a good friend of mine. And, uh, and, and yeah, and he he was like, yeah, man, do what you need to do. We got it covered. And then I was able to give her that. But in the back of my mind, I was like, I don't want to miss out on a big tour. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I don't want to burn bridges. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because I, I, even then I had enough foresight to know, like, well, I always think about these things. So what if, like, a month into it, she gets sick or something happens, like, and that tour gets canceled? And I'm did I burn bridges with another artist? And I don't believe that. Because uh, I've been really fortunate to get called back to play with artists, even years later. And I, and I feel like that's an important thing that sets us something to keep in mind as far as keeping a good attitude and making sure you you always have a good relationship every step of the way throughout a tour and you end on a really good note yeah um even if things bother you you know just end on a good note and then you 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 can resolve or 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 bring that up the next time you negotiate so uh, anyway don't get married to the gigs kids (laughs) have you ever had to turn down a gig that you really looked at and thought, God, I really want that, but I, you're committed elsewhere? Um, well, yeah. I mean, I think that was right around the time when I was starting to play with America. I started doing some gigs with Don Felter, and he offered me more dates. But And I and I really did want to play more with him, because Don is just a hero. I mean, he wrote, wrote the book on guitar, yeah? <laughs> so, but, but I mean, I, I, I did have to... Go, I went with America just because they were offering me more work. And Don totally gets it. He's a, I mean, and and I and I hope to do more stuff with him at some point in the future. I hope I can. It was it was fun. I, at least I did a handful of shows, and uh, I can say I played Hotel California with him. <laughs> that's was, pretty cool. That's a biggie, you know, the bucket list, right? You know. So a lot of a lot of touring. Um, do you want more recording in your life? I do. I'd love to do more recording. Whether it's for other artists, that would be great. Uh, but right now I'm writing my own music and I'm actually going to be recording it later this month. I'm going to start the process. And that's, that's just, I, that drives me when I wake up. Mm-hmm. That's, um, I think like I've done the touring thing for a long time and I still love doing it and I enjoy it. But uh, it's like anything else, you know, you, you, you find 
you have to go with things that are, are keeping you inspired. And right now, I'm less concerned with playing guitar and gear. I'm selling gear. I'm like, I just, I've poured it so much over the years. I just want to simplify everything in my life. And I feel like, well, writing music, it almost makes me, it gets me back to what I was doing prior to even Berkeley. Right. But now, after working on so much music and having done so many sessions for other artists and, and even producing music for, uh, for some artists that I've done recently in town... I just realized I'm I'm hearing songs now, and I, I need to I need to go down that road. And so the recording that I'm going to be doing will be for myself, I think, coming up. Unless I get called by by an artist or somebody else, and I love doing that kind of stuff. But I'm really anxious to go in there and, and you know, singing on the record. I'm playing keyboards. I'm um, certainly going to be doing guitar on there, and I'll bring in some great musicians. And it's going to be fun. I'm really looking forward to doing that, having my own record and putting putting that body of work out. And it's going to be a record. It's actually going to it's going to be a body of work because I believe in that, and we don't find that anymore. Yeah. And I, I and it's to me, it's not just nostalgic, but it's important because I feel like I, I think these songs tell a story, and they're going to go together. And um, I want to have that experience. I want to yeah. I want to put together an album. I'd like to have something that I mean, I don't know, I'm probably not going to have liner notes, <laughs> but I mean that's what. <laughs> That's what excited me when I was growing up. I'm sure you were the same way, like reading through album liner notes and just seeing the photos and feeling like this is this is art. Yeah. It's more than just listening. It's the visual with, with the audio. And, yeah, for sure. And I love that. I mean, it's, it's, it's just sad that it's lost. Uh, it is. These days. Little, and I'm not saying I'm bringing it back. I know other artists that are doing it, and I think that's really good just to keep it alive. And I don't feel like I need to do it. I just want to do it. I just feel. Will like, you put out vinyl? Uh, maybe. I mean, that, that, I just it just I leads that me would, to think that would be know. cool. Actually, I guess I guess I'll make that decision once the once the the, the recording's done. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if I'm once the order is set for all the songs and and, and it's done, it's a, a finished body of work. And if I if I can see it, I can visualize it as being worthy of vinyl. Let's just say, yeah. I think so. Maybe, maybe even a short pressing something. Yeah, that way you can get the whole visual on the liner well, yeah. notes. You can write. Didn't you always want to write the thanks to? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yes, and certainly listing the people that are contributing to yeah. it and helping me. Yeah, inspiration and all that. Yeah, for sure. Well, you got me thinking about it. Maybe I will. Maybe I will. Well, if you need a graphic designer, I do know you? One. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, before I forget, so very tour heavy. Um, resume mm. something like when did the Bonnie Hunt show present itself Bonnie Hunt show uh, came about that's funny that's a funny story it's actually uh, another Jim McGorman thing uh, he originally was doing that and then uh, for some reason wasn't able to commit and he put my name into the mix and at the time they wanted a guitar player who also played keyboards. Even though I did, I wasn't really as experienced. I certainly wasn't reading on on keyboards. So I basically went in there, and I'm a and I'm a good guitarist. Like I can read on guitar really well. So at least good enough for that gig. And and I went in there, and actually my first experience was was recording a bunch of we call them play-ons for for the show. You go into a studio. I went into some studio in Pasadena with the band. That was my first experience. Not even on the show. Just just doing these random thirty-second clips that they were going to use, like when when a segment ends. And it was heavy, man. Like like. I left there with the biggest headache because you're just concentrating on nailing the part. You don't want to be the one guy to be like, 
can we do that again? Because yeah. I noticed right away they were flying through these. It was a pro-level pro like recording. Were and you joining an ensemble that was kind of already... It was the band there. for the show. It was the TV show band. And, uh, well, I got, I got thrown into it. And, um, yeah. I remember it was because Jim doesn't read on guitar. That could have been one other one of the reasons but but yeah I mean I, I did it and I got through it and I think once I heard like Bob Reynolds was the saxophonist on it he used to regularly play with John Mayer and a bunch of other great people he's got his own band and um, once, I think I heard him be like yeah I'd like to run that again and once <laughs> once I heard him do it I felt like okay I, I have like a license right now to ask for another a do over I was messing up but it, it, it you know I just I wanted to be I was like a perfectionist I wanted every note to be as clean as possible and I realized it's not about that it's just it's just making it sound the way it's supposed to. And these are like little insignificant pieces of music. You just bang through it. And then I did the show, and that was a great experience. And boy, I mean, talk about like getting to play with some great drummers. Because Nate Morton, who I had gone to school with, gone to Berkeley with, he's now the drummer on The Voice. Okay. Uh, so, and he's a good friend of mine now. And, and he, he and I played on the Bonnie Hunt show. And he would have to sub it out to either go play with Cher or some other artists. Every time he stepped it out, it would be like J.R. Robinson would come in. I'd, I'd walk up to the stage and I'm like, that's John Robinson. <laughs> John Robinson today. Okay, cool. And then Harvey Mason. And then, like, who's who of these incredible drummers that I totally respect and, and listen to growing up? And, um, but that was fun. Who would you call to sub yourself out? Oh, my God. Uh, man, there's so many great guitar players out there. Um,. I guess it really would depend on the gig. If the gig w- required um, a strong vocal, you know, I I would I would certainly call Jim. Mm-hmm. Um, and and depending on like how demanding the guitar parts are, yeah, I would call Jim to do it because he's a phenomenal singer and he's a great guitar player. Um, and if it's just a guitar gig, I, I could call uh, my buddy Joe Algello, plays with Robin Thicke, and call like. You know Pete Thorne. I mean, there's a bunch of great guitar players out there. Just a hand. I mean, Jason Orm plays with Milanus. There's just so many, man. Right, right. Too many to even. So I have a long list of great guitar <laughs> players that I, I could call and I have recommended for stuff. I've been lucky to haven't had to sub out too many gigs. I try not to do that. Yeah. Um, and honestly, with a band like America, there's just no, not even time. Yeah. <laughs> like they keep me really busy, and it's so. It's funny. I, I like that. I like asking that question. I've only asked it once before, and it's in the last episode. And it was uh, the answer was someone not as talented as me. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I almost feel the opposite because I feel like um, I understand that. I've seen that happen, and I've been in bands where people sub out, and the player's not as good, and then and then everybody in the band is not as happy. And my feeling is, I want to call the be- I want to call a better guitar player than me. If I can, I will. I mean, honestly, it's not because I'm so confident I'm not going to lose the gig, but I'm just not worried about that. Yeah, yeah. My feeling is like, look, if I can't be there, I'm going to give you the best person I can possibly get because I want it to be the best experience for the artist and for the band. And um, and I take that really seriously. Like, I feel like that that recommendation. And when I'm referred by other people, I want to do the absolute best. Sure. Not because I'm looking to take somebody's gig, but I want them to feel really at ease and comfortable that I'm gonna um, I'm gonna be a, a good replacement and uh, make it'll make them look good in return. Yeah. To the artist. So. Now back to the Bonnie Hunt show. Was that an opportunity to 
stay put for a little while and not be on the road, or was that just an opportunity that you, um, you, you just why why would you pass it up? Yeah, I think I had to sub out a, a, a couple gigs or a couple tapings, but that that show only taped a couple times a week, so the the schedule wasn't as demanding. It wasn't like the Voice would tape every day, like mm-hmm. six days out of the week. Um, so I think it fell at a on a good. Uh, period in my life where I was home predominantly and I was getting called occasionally to go out and do like a corporate gig or something but it, it didn't really interfere that much mm-hmm. so time wise it just worked out okay. I did that for about a year and a half until the show uh, was taken off there right right um, some of the other you mentioned Don Felder um, yeah. Cassidy um, Mark Broussard mm-hmm. uh, Five for Fighting yeah, uh, Gwen Stefani. Was there ever an, uh, another opportunity like Avril, where it was you know a big commitment, you know year long or eighteen months or world tour with any of those? Well, um, let me see. Avril, you know, she was promoting an album, so there was there was a world tour at, at her level. Yeah, it, it, it was it was a long tour, and and um, we were playing extensively, and that that was just like I was just out with her. With Gwen, at that point, she wasn't promoting a record, and later she came out with a Christmas album, like last year. So we, we were we did a cycle to promote that. But December twenty fifth comes, and then it's over, <laughs> and then it's, then it's back to doing some corporates. So I mostly played uh, one offs with with Gwen. I wasn't on a uh, on a big tour with her, but I I did that for over a year, and it was great. That was a really fun experience, fun band, great music, yeah. Um, and I was the only guitar player too, so that's kind of fun because you feel like, okay, I'm like, it's just me. Not that I don't like other guitar players. I mean, yeah. with America, there's three guitars going on a lot at the same time, and it's like guitar heaven. So it's like, but that fits that music. Yeah, you don't need three guitars with with the no doubt stuff. Um, so other other um, extensive tours, I would play like a full summer with Five for Fighting. We were out. Um, and with Vertical Horizon, we would do the the extent of the shows. I mean, they play year round, and I really love playing with that band. But but, and it would be to promote an album, and there would that would be like uh, that would be that would keep me busy. That would be uh, an extensive run, and then we uh, and then Matt uh, accepted some uh, USO tours, and that was an amazing experience. That I I don't I think I've done that. With anyone else, um, we were playing for uh, Navy Entertainment right, or right. the Army, and then would, would take us out to the Middle East, and so that was fun. That's cool. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I had a note, and uh, yeah, I yeah. meant to bring that up. That was a blast. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a lot cooler than I thought it was going to be. It was, it was, because uh, you never know. You're, you're signing. Paper that says, "Well, you might not come. Anything could happen. <laughs> so as long as you're aware of that. But, but besides that, you'll be treated like a five star general. Yeah, that's, that's one contract you read very carefully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you mentioned corporate gigs a couple times. I've never really gotten much into that. But it, tell me a little bit about that. These are just. I, I know what they are, yeah. but it's just. I mean, do you enjoy those? Because it's. It's not like you've got a. These well, kind of, these I, are kind of one offs. I, I enjoy them when." They take you to when it takes you to a place that you haven't been to. That's appealing. Like with Gwen, we did a bunch of these really cool corporates where 
I mean, I've been to South Korea before, but one of them was just to fly to, to Seoul and do a show and come back. That was, that was a cool experience. Um, now, in an instance like that, will they give you a couple? Will they fly you? Give you a couple days to acclimate? To, I mean, Usually, they'll get you know. get you in at least a couple days before if it's if it's in Seoul or someplace like that. Or like we we did another one in Dubai. Uh, with her, it was like the grand opening of some hotel. They really wanted her, and it was like, okay, we put on a show. I don't know if it was like even an hour of performance time, but we did it, and we had a couple of days off. And one of those days, we 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 took like this safari and into like sand dunes, and that was great. Rose camels, and that that was really good. No, that was even a more um, memorable experience than the, than the show itself because that's time that you're spending with friends and you're doing something that you've ne- never done before. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's all that time off stage that you remember more. The gigs they come and go. It's kind right. of strange. You play. Are some of the gigs not that enjoyable because it's not a crowd? You know, this is a hired event. Well, I guess certain certain times, like think it's a you know Grand Opening of a Mall, and it's Gwen Stefani. Gwen Stefani fans are going to be there. Whereas if it's yeah. the IBM year end celebration, half the people will be like, "Great, Gwen Stefani," and the other half will be like, uh, "Free buffet." Exactly, and that's what I always worry about, that, that corporate mindset where are they even fans of the artist? Yeah. Sure, we know his or her material, but yeah, oh yeah, I recognize the song, but they're, they're not really as engaged, and it feels like a job. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I mean, actually, we just did a, a corporate at some golf club up in, uh, it was in uh, Park City, Utah, and that was a fun gig. We were being like eaten alive by bugs but but the crowd was so engaged right from the start they were dancing and we rarely see that at an who was the artist it was America okay yeah that's good and that was an enjoyable show even though the bugs were all over like it was outside <laughs> by the water it, it was it, it was a really fun gig because it was a it was a it was actually more energy from that 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 group than at like a normal show where they're just sitting down and being yeah, polite. That's interesting. Yeah, you have the core fans that are always going up at the front of the stage, which is fun. But that that was memorable. So if every corporate was like that, it would minus the bugs, it would be great. Now, now money wise, if you take a, a Gwen Stefani in Dubai, I mean, it just it reeks of money. But does as a contract player, are you? seeing a benefit are you seeing a jump in, in a one-off like that or is it kind of like it's a corporate here's your here's your rate basically like that's how it works I negotiate my rate so um, when I'm away per day I make my rate and that's how it works um, you don't I mean I don't know if other people but you can't that. slide it up when it's like Dubai shit well these guys can afford well yeah I mean <laughs> certain things change like your per diem changes and you know you can request certain things like a better flight um yeah. And yeah, and and then you could you could you could negotiate. It really depends on the artist, the manager, and you can. I've done that before, where I've I've, I've said, "Look, this is a grueling travel right schedule right here. Can we talk a little bit about like compensation?" And yeah, sometimes they're amicable, and sometimes you know they're not. And so, but generally speaking, like it's a great question. You would think that, and I've talked about this before. Like you think like, oh, he's getting paid like. A million dollars to do a corporate show. Do you think I'm getting like that much more? No. <laughs> now it'd be different if I were in the band, but as a hired guy, yeah, yeah. You know, I negotiate my rate, and you have to be comfortable with that. Yeah. If you're not, you just don't do it. But well, I'm still getting paid. Yeah. Yeah. 
Let's talk about Soundcheck Live. Oh, okay. Let's talk about that. <laughs> what is Soundcheck Live? Are you are you one of the originators of it, or did you join it? As um, something I, I, my friend Steve Ferlazzo, who is Avril's, it's still her uh, musical director and a keyboardist, he started uh, the show called Soundcheck Live. He's the producer of the show, and he put together a band, um, which I am in. I'm the house band member. Um, we call it resident band members. And and so whenever I'm back in town and I'm able to do the show, I'm always the guy who goes and plays if I, if I can do it. And uh, it's a great band. And basically what it is is uh, a show. It used to be every week, and that was a lot of work. But now it's once a month. The last Wednesday of every month, we put on a show at Lucky Strike, which is a bowling alley, but they have a fully functioning, like, full production stage set up. And they, they have artists playing in there every, almost every night. And it's a terrific sounding room. And, uh, and it's Hollywood and Highland, right in the heart of Hollywood. So it, it's a great location. And, um, and what we do is we... We, we play three sets that evening, and a lot of times there's an opener, a local artist that plays. And what we would, what we'll attempt to do is just all new material, and there's a theme every night uh, that we do it. And and so Steve or any of us, if we if we have um, artists that we've worked with in the past, we'll try we'll try to get them to come and play. So if you look on the website, you probably notice there have been a ton of notable artists yeah. that have graced that that stage with us and I one one of them that comes to mind the, the most fun I've ever had was like playing with Jackson Brown when we did that and he came as uh, he's friends with the, the the resident singer Carl Restivo and he came and agreed to do it and we were just blown away and so we just played how much a preparation separate. how much preparation do you get for something like that or how much preparation will the, the well, guest put into that it depends on the guest. Uh, some of them are fully engaged. Like Jackson actually came in and did the sound check with us, rehearsed the songs, just to make sure if it was like the right arrangement and, and making sure everything was to his liking. And uh, and so he's comfortable. Plus, he wanted to get comfortable with the sound on stage. He had in ears, and, and it was great. We played like five of his biggest songs, and I was just just in my glory. I was <laughs> so happy to do it. Yeah, because he's one of my favorite songwriters, and he could have been a nicer guy. And anybody that's worked with them will tell you the same thing. So, uh, and then we've had Nuno Betancourt, who's good friends with Steve, uh, and now my friend as well. Like he's been uh, a repeat guest uh, since the beginning. He was the first guest, and he seems like he does it like once or two, twice a year. And he now is bringing in incredible artists like Nancy Wilson, Steve Vai, Tom Morello, like who's who of these great artists, not just great guitar players, yeah. but just great artists. And um, and I've been really lucky that Nuno always asks the resident band to play with him. He can rely on us to do our homework, and I mean it's just an absolute thrill as a guitar player to, to back up somebody like Nuno or to be up there playing with him. It's 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 a lot of fun. How did uh, I'm circling back just yeah. the, the whole guitar thing? But how did the Don Felder uh, gig come about? Um, Don Felder thing came about. He had you know it's funny about that story is he had called me like years and years prior to us actually playing together. I don't even know if you remembered calling me. <laughs> but he had gotten my name through someone uh, as probably one of his drummers. And uh, and and at the time I was on an Avril tour so I couldn't I couldn't do any shows. And then years later uh, his his drummer, Stevie D, who 
also plays with like Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and David Gilmore. He's been with him for a long time now. Uh, Stevie and I are friends, and we played some gigs in town, and Stevie uh, thought I would be a really good fit for it, so he recommended me to Don, and Don called me, and uh, I went over to his his house, one of his houses, <laughs> in Mulholland Drive, and we just played Don's songs, and I played along with some live tracks for him, and got the gig, and it was fun. It was a really great experience just to, like, meet with him face to face and and be able to play his parts for him. (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) But I was really gung-ho about doing the gig. Did he get a chance to pick his brain about, you know, just his legend? You know, I only did a couple shows with him and did a little bit of traveling, but uh, not as much as I would have liked to. If we would have spent more time, I probably would have picked his brain more. But he's, he's a pretty forthcoming guy and, mm. and, and really easy to be around just yeah. did you read his book I did Heaven and Hell yeah yeah I, I, haven't, was, <laughs> I haven't read it but I, it I, I, I've been great. meaning to and I've seen the Eagles uh, History of the Eagles yeah, yeah. and yeah it was it, what, what always weirded me out too was when I saw the History of the Eagles tour in uh, where the heck was that I think it was Bakersfield yeah they 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 go through right from the beginning of their of their story to present day, and they do it in chronological order. And when they get to the part where it's like Hotel California, they just they don't mention Don, and that's just and I'm like, okay, look, man, I get it, I get it, but uh, then it's not the history of the Eagles. Yeah, to me, it's not the history of the Eagles anymore. Like I I understand there's there's a lot of like bad blood there, and I get it, I totally get it. <laughs> But I'm, I'm like, well, this is not the history of the Eagles. Because he's a hero for me. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, I, you know, I still but enjoy it, the show. Your expression, you totally get it. Do you see that in a band dynamic? With all your experience in yeah. sharing, you know, just closed spaces and being around people all the time, you, you've, you've seen, like, when there's not good energy, as you said. Earlier. Well, I understand because there's issues with money, which is... That usually is where all the problems stem from. Yeah, (laughs) problem with the world, right? Um, It's a lot of greed out there, but but also just like you know, I do believe that there are creative differences. We they sometimes use that term to mask the problems with you know with money. But yeah, there there is there is like the creative differences. There is money, and and just like sometimes people just have different personalities that just rub the wrong way. For sure. For sure, yeah. A <laughs> um, couple more questions, and I'll wrap it up with the my my final five that I give everybody. Um, but quickly, the soundcheck live um, yeah. monetarily is that just for a lot of fun, or do you get like you I guys- do get paid for it? But it, it's it, it's it's for it's more for fun, yeah. and and more for me to do something that I don't get to do on a regular basis with the best musicians in in Los Angeles. Yeah, and and to me that that just that's worth everything. Yeah. yeah. God, I'd love, to, I'd love to see that someday. I'd love to be in Well, anytime LA. you're in L.A., come on by. We'll get you in. Yeah. <laughs> i got to get back. Well, it is a free show. But when there are... Oh, it is a free show. Well, yeah, but when there are big guests there, um, they usually have to... We, we do need to put names on the guest list because right, right. he gets packed. Like, Nuno always sells out, and Jackson was, like, fully packed, and, and people couldn't get in for that. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's one artist that I know his debut album and I thought it was fantastic and he just he disappeared into thin air and I think you might have done a Christmas tune with him but it's Blue 
Oh yeah, sure. Who the hell? I know, I know so, I know <laughs> so little about him, but when I saw that, I'm like, oh my god, that's, I love that. I loved his uh, debut album. And I saw him back in New York at a oh, small he's club. And phenomenal. I just never, I just, and I never schooled him or saw if he's got more albums out. But yeah, I knew Blue back in Boston. Yeah, and it's funny stories. Like we both worked in admissions for a brief period of time at the same oh my god, together. So yeah, is he a Berkeley guy? He's too? a Berkeley guy. Yeah. Oh. And he would play the whole... He was playing in Boston for years, playing, like, the Middle East and a lot of the the, the, the mainstay clubs there, and uh, created a good buzz for himself, and he became one of the more notable songwriters, and I always loved his music, and he's a friend of mine, too, and now he's out in L.A., and, and he'll go back and forth between Boston and L.A. And, and hit both coasts, but his albums are really solid. I mean, he doesn't put out... Crap. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, it's a lot of thought and a lot of heart, and and I love it. I love his voice, and I just I feel like he's just different. You know, he's got a sound, and yet with that said, I, we share a lot of the same influences. Like he's a big ELO fan, big Jeff Lynne fan, and you hear the influences in his music where it still sounds like blue because mm-hmm. everybody is influenced by every you know their, yeah, their yeah. heroes, and you're going to hear a little bit of that, but. Yeah, I've always enjoyed his records a lot. It's interesting. Yeah. Does he write for others or anything? Or yeah, he's written for a lot of other artists. I mean, I I don't know his resume well yeah, enough yeah. to speak on that, but uh, but yeah, he he's he's done well doing doing that. I'll have, to, I'll have to go to the Google for that. Yeah, man. All right, let's uh, wrap it up with the final five. So, first question: You being in LA, I don't want to be insensitive, but um, with the wildfires there, if your home was ever threatened. Well, thank you for asking. It wasn't. <laughs> I live in uh, Valley Village, which is right near Studio City, so fortunately I'm not in an at-risk area, although okay. I do get the alerts from the L.A. Fire Department. And the closest it's gotten has been out in Thousand Oaks, okay. which is so many miles from, you know, west of where I live. And I think up in uh, Sun Valley, they were having some problems, too. I, I do know friends who have lost their, their homes. Yeah, it's crazy. It's I mean, really it's, sad. It's always been a hypothetical that... If your home is on fire, everyone is safe, but everyone I speak to nine out of ten times are in L.A. and they're like, oh, matter of fact, you know, we uh, had to evacuate. And I know. It's like, yeah, and, and like, uh, boy, the air has been really bad up there, too, when those fires hit. I, the last last time, it, it was just horrible, and uh, we couldn't find um, masks anywhere in the stores. They were all bought up, but... Um, yeah, I mean, we can't escape the earthquakes. That's the one thing. <laughs> yeah, so uh, if your your valuables are in danger, you're losing them, what's the most, what would you run in and save? What oh, has the most sentimental value that's good related question. to your career or music? Related to the career or to music? Uh, I would grab my Gretsch, Chet Atkins. It's a reissue, but it's 1959. TV Jones. I like that. That's one of my coveted guitars. I would also grab a 1964 vintage SG Special. Oh, nice. I have a couple other vintage guitars, but I wouldn't think to grab those two guitars for sure. I would grab maybe my 83 Strat because it was the first electric I ever got. <laughs> but I could let it go. I could let it burn. Okay. I really would want the SG and I would really want the Chet Atkins. Um, I'm not going to grab amps. There's too heavy. Maybe my, my Fender Bassman. <laughs> That's one of the best sounding amps. Um, no, I've always asked this. As I probably would grab my, my laptop, though, because it's got all my hard music. Drive. Your hard drive. My hard drive. It's all, all those ideas and from like 10 plus years now. Yeah, I wouldn't want to lose that. Okay, good. 
It's uh, backed up on the cloud, but still, you never know. <laughs> a lot of people say that. Yeah. Um, question number two is, if I were at liberty to give you a million dollars to give to one charity of oh. your choosing, who would you give it to? I would probably do the Lupus Foundation, because my mom passed in 1998, and she, she had lupus. Okay. Yeah. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's okay. Question three is, what would your walk-up music be to the Pearly Gates? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, well, that's a good question. I edit a lot here. Oh, okay, good. You may have to edit the space here in the time that it lets. There, because now I'm flooded with songs. What would I? What would I? Say? What would I walk up to? Although I'm here, I'll, I'll, I'm just going to throw the ambience is going to make it a little harder okay. to edit. <laughs> you know what? Not not because it's my favorite song, but I'm just going to say. The monkeys. I'm a believer. <laughs> That's right. You know, as a kid, I loved that song. That's I a, did too. That was very influential. You know, and I'm and I'm like, you know, if I'm going to walk up to the pearly gates, as I'm I'm realizing this. I'm a believer. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> You're a, a believer now. Yeah. Uh, question four is what would be stuck on repeat in hell? Oh my God, that's a really good question. And your buddy Jim took the fifth because he didn't want to burn any bridges. <laughs> You stuck on how? Um, maybe, maybe the share song with the um, the, the vo- vocal effect that I can't stand. <laughs> I don't know. Um, no, I'm just kidding. That's not probably the one. Oh God, I don't know. I mean, uh, I really that life after love. Yeah, do you believe? It? Yeah, that, that kind of thing. Um, I don't know. It's not a bad song, but it's not. Yeah. Um, I try to find good in everything, but God, what, what, what would what would what would be stuck on repeat? Right? I don't know, man. That's that's a two. I'm gonna take the fifth too. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm cop out. All right. Last question is: uh, What's the best concert or live music experience you've seen as a fan? Boy, there's there's a, there are, are a lot. I would say I'm gonna give you my top five, maybe. Okay. Top five. Uh, Peter Gabriel, for sure, one of my favorite artists. I would say the Us Tour. Uh, that was uh, life-changing. I would say Prince at the Forum. I was like, in the round, yeah, it was that was an unbelievable show. I would say um, Jeff Lynn, ELO. More recently at the London O2. It was like right in front. I cried during telephone line. <laughs> It, it and was, I saw that on your Twitter. Did you did you miss another show to go to that show? Or there was two shows playing that same night? Um, no, I that was in London on on a, on a night off with America, and I just did I couldn't I didn't know if I was so tired I didn't even know if I had the energy to even go to the show, and I did StubHub at the last minute. I think I got the seats for like 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 four fourth row from set like center in in right from stage and like. I think I got it for like $40. It was ridiculous. <laughs> Probably because I went by myself yeah, and it was like yeah. that one seat that was available. Um, so that, those three, uh, probably Neil Finn. Oh, that's interesting. One of my favorite artists. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he, I would, I saw him for like every time he came to Boston this one year promoting one of his records and it, that was one of the best. Like, Did you see him with Fleetwood Mac? No, I did not. Fleetwood Max one of my favorite bands, and I never saw him. I saw I'd seen Lindsay before. That was incredible. Um, I want to see them because I love Mike Campbell too. But yeah. Have you seen him? No, I have not. Yeah. And maybe the fifth. 
just to change it up, I would say Pat Metheny. I saw him Secret Story Tour in Boston. And at that time in my life, that really inspired me. That 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 was incredible. Yeah. What was your first show as a kid? Or as a, I as a kid keep who, as going a kid back and forth on this. I'm trying to recall. It was either Culture Club or Tina Turner. I can't. It was the same year. It was 1985, and I can't remember which one was first. Okay. So it was. Uh, that was, that was funny. The Tina Turner one was good because I remember Brian Adams came out and I'm a huge fan. Oh, yeah, yeah. He came out and did It's Only Love and that was really cool. And I remember that as a kid. I'm like, who's this guy? Oh, he's great. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Steve, I appreciate you giving me My your, pleasure, uh, your time. It was great. It was great talking to you, too. All right. Thank you, Steve Beckety. You can catch Steve with America playing select U.S. dates through mid-November before embarking on a New Zealand-Australian tour to round out the year. Go to VenturaHighway.com for show dates. And for more info on Steve, you can visit his website at SteveBeckettyGuitar.com. Beckety is F-E-K-E-T-E. Guitar.com. As for our self-serving needs, you can follow the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for news updates and artist tidbits. We'll be back next week with a wonderful Australian-born singer-songwriter who's got an amazing story about going from playing pubs in Melbourne to playing keyboards for one of the biggest alternative bands still selling out arenas today. So don't miss it. It's a good one. I should know. I've heard it. All right, episode 63 is fading to black. Good night, Cleveland. <laughs>